Hi, this is Kevin Cruz. You are listening to the Leadership Biz Cafe. Hi, everyone. This is Tammy Nasir. And on today's episode of Leadership Biz Cafe, I'll be talking with my friend and fellow leadership expert, Kevin Cruz. Kevin is an entrepreneur who has won both the Inc. 500 Award for Fast Growth and a Best Place to Work Award for Employee Culture. Kevin's latest venture is serving as founder and CEO of LeadX, an online learning platform that provides free leadership development for millions of people around the world. In addition to being a Forbes leadership columnist, Kevin is also the author of several books, including the New York Times bestseller, We, How to Increase Performance and Profits Through Full Engagement, and Employee Engagement for Everyone, Four Keys to Happiness and Fulfillment at Work, which will be the focus of our conversation today. Hi, Kevin. Welcome to the show. And it's great to talk with you again, although this time here on my show. <laughs> That's right. Well, we, uh, Tandra, I think we should start uh, yet another podcast, which is Tandra and Kevin talk over a cup of coffee or beer or whatever, because uh, we, we always uh, enjoy, you know, chatting about the same stuff. So I know this one's going to be fun. Oh, I'd, I'd love that. I think we should do like a special series. In fact, we should definitely consider doing that, Kevin. That would be a riot. <laughs> I really, I really like that idea. Good. Now, Kevin, we're going to be talking about your book that focuses on employee engagement, and the term employee engagement is one that all of us have heard about numerous times. We've seen those articles and reports on how, despite the clear evidence of how it's tied to organizational growth and prosperity, employee engagement levels are still at very low levels in organizations throughout the world. But one thing I've noticed is that while we can all agree that employee engagement is important, there's some confusion as to what this looks like. For example, I've read articles where leaders are being told that if your employees are not smiling or they're not happy every day on they're on the job, you've got disengaged employees. Now, to be frank here, I think it's unrealistic for leaders or anyone else for that matter to be responsible for the happiness of others. And the idea that an engaged workforce is one where everyone is happy and smiling is not only unsustainable, but it's also unrealistic. So I think a good place for us to start our conversation today, Kevin, is by clearly defining what exactly is employee engagement? Well, it is a great place to start because I think there are a lot of misconceptions, and that's a big reason why uh, the engagement movement movement hasn't sort of realized more more gains. And to your point, I think you know a lot of people think engagement's just another way to say employee satisfaction. But to me, you know, satisfaction doesn't raise the bar high enough because I can be satisfied as I clock in at nine in the morning and satisfied as I take my breaks and lunch and satisfied when I clock out at five and I'll do what you tell me to do. Um, but that's not enough. I mean, we want people to give a little bit more of that than that. And, you know, I could be satisfied. And if a headhunter calls me up and says, hey, I can get you a 10 percent bump in pay, you know, at this competitor, I'm going to go on that job interview. Um, so that's not a great definition. And then on the other extreme, as you say, and I think a lot of this comes from, you know, Silicon Valley. Oh, engagement. It's about trying to everybody should be happy and we should have balloons and scooters in the hallway and free beer and all that stuff. And look, I hope people are happy. I'm not against happiness. But, you know, you can have very happy employees who are not working on behalf 
of the company. And you see this in the retail environment. You know, if I take my teenagers into the mall and they're looking for clothes and boy, those teen workers, they're bopping to the music. They're smiling, looking at their smartphone, but you know, they're not greeting us. They're not upselling us. They're not, you know, doing all these things that we want to do. So when I talk about employee engagement, you know, it's not satisfaction. It's not happiness. It's the emotional commitment that we have to our organization and to our organization's goals. So it basically, it's a fancy way of saying that we care about the company and its goals. And, and to be honest, Hanver, you know, a lot of times when I've been most engaged at work, I wasn't very happy about it. Like, you know, I was working longer hours and I was trying, I was feeling a little stressed out because we were trying to hit a deadline. But I mean, I was all in, like I was fighting to win for the company, fighting to win with my colleagues, with my partners. But if someone said, hey, Kevin, you know, you, you happy today? I'd be like, uh, I wouldn't use the word happy, <laughs> but I was definitely engaged. So that's just to me, how can we get team members emotionally connected, you know, to the companies that they work in? Right. And Kevin, I think this is such an important way for leaders and employees to view and understand employee engagement, especially here in North America, where there's almost an obsession with being happy that if we're not in a state of perpetual joy, that we're doing something wrong. And unfortunately, that notion hasn't stayed within that new AG personal development sphere, but has migrated into the business world where I get leaders coming to me complaining how their employees are not happy. Mm. And what they fail to understand is that the goal shouldn't be making employees happy, as you pointed out, but rather it's making people feel and know that what they do matters, that it's important, right. that they're contributing something bigger than themselves. And when you have a good day where you move one step closer to achieving your shared goals, that's the moment where happiness shines down on everyone. In other words, personally, I think happiness is the byproduct of creating an environment where people care about what they do, what the organization is trying to achieve because the work and their contributions matter. And Tamara, before we move off, is I just want to, you know, highlight what you said, because this is relevant just for everybody's life, too. Right. I mean, I think we are now in a in a society, North America, for sure, but possibly globally, where everyone's thinks they need to be happy or should be happy all the time. And so if I'm not happy for a few days, I'm, you know, doing something to try to fix it, whether it's, you know, uh, pharmaceutical drugs or hitting the bottle or, or whatever it is. And if you look at it, I mean, happiness is a relatively recent notion. And the idea, you know, the roots of the words, it's sort of a, it's more of a fleeting emotion that can come and to go. And, and again, I'm not against being happy, but for my own life, you know, I know there will be times where I'm feeling really happy and joyous and, and other times when I'm not, a lot of times when I'm not, but what my focus is, is, is feeling, you know, meaningful, trying to have a life of meaning. And to me, that is sustainable. You know, I can feel that I have a life of meaning day after day, week after week, year after year, even if individual days or weeks, hey, I'm feeling really happy today or, oh, I'm not feeling so happy, you know, about something today. And so, you know, whether it's work or our own lives, I think that's something people really need to, to consider. Absolutely. Okay, Kevin, so this leads us to what I see as the second misconception that many people have about employee engagement, and that is who's responsible? Who has to carry that burden of ensuring employees are engaged at work? And, and you have a really interesting answer to that in your book, don't you, Kevin? Yeah, you're you're right. It's it's something that, you know, my the the book I wrote before Employee Engagement for Everyone was called Employee Engagement 2.0, and it was for managers. And we do know that when it comes to uh, sort of the external factors, corporate or organizational factors, 
who your boss is does account for about 70% of, of engagement. But that's not the full story. And as I was doing talks and workshops for that last book, over and over again, you know, I'd get people raising their hand, managers who'd say, why is it always my fault? You know, how come the person who's complaining about communication, you know, why don't they raise their hand in the meeting and ask a question, right? You know, why, why is this always on me? Now, there's not a lot of research on this, but I was able to uh, find one study for the, the new book that shows that about 47 percent, almost half of how we feel about work is our own internal intrinsic motivation or intrinsic factors, I should say, uh, towards it. And, you know, the the thinking behind this this finding is that similar to happiness versus depression, Yes, you know, there's things we can do to, to feel happier. There's things that could happen to us that might make us sad. But we also sort of have a set point, you know, whether there's a lot of evidence that shows this is, um, uh, you know, inherited. It's a genetic thing. If if we had to measure our happiness every day on a one to ten scale, ten being ecstatically happy, you know, you might be on average a five like most of your life. I might only be a two or a three. And so similarly, you know, we bring this into work. We've got a set point. And I think some people are more naturally going into the workplace and more easily engaged, more easily delighted, more grateful just for having a job, perhaps. And then there's others who don't come into the workplace wired that way. And so um, that's what we have to realize is like if half of this feeling about work, and it's a big chunk of our life, right? Um, you know, we can't just wait for the org. The organization can't make us engaged on its own. It's not all in, in the hands of our boss as much as we wish, you know, it was all on them. Even if we've got a bad boss or boss who just has never been trained in how to engage people, there's a lot we can do because we have to be accountable for about the other half of the equation. Right. And Kevin, I think this is an important finding for us to consider any discussion on employee engagement, especially if we go back to our definition of what that is, namely that what we're talking about is caring about the work we do, caring about the goals your organization has, and caring about the vision that binds this all together. And I think this idea is actually very empowering for both sides of this equation in that it empowers leaders to recognize that, yes, you play a critical role to driving engagement in your organization, but it's not all on you. And similarly for employees, it's empowering to know that we have a part to play in creating an environment where we care about what we do and what we collectively accomplish. And this idea fits in beautifully with ideas that leadership experts like you, myself, and others have been talking about for the past couple of years of how it's not about leading from this top-down command and control approach. Rather, it's about our ability to foster relationships with those we lead and how we are we effective in doing that and how that impacts how successful we are in our leadership. And when we when when we remember that, you know, our emotions, whether at home or at work, I mean, they're contagious. You know, if we're walking around all bummed out or angry or whatever, well, that's going to bring down the emotions of those around us. Uh, if we're pumped up and excited and, and just, you know, that's infectious in a positive way to those uh, around us. And when you understand that, then all of a sudden it's not you don't just have the obligation or responsibility to try to get the most out of your day for yourself. But you got to realize that you're you're a leader, you know, whether you have direct reports or not, you are influencing the people around you. And so, again, you know, what what can you do to be as engaged as possible as possible, not just for yourself, knowing that that's going to affect everyone that's that's near you. Now, Kevin, I'm pretty sure everyone in our audience knows what advantages increasing employee engagement creates for organizations. 
But I'd like to stay on this other side of the equation, that of the employee, and ask, what advantages do employees get from increasing their level of engagement on the job? Yeah, I, well, I think the surprising part is all the, the stuff in our personal lives. So, you know, as you say, you know, organizationally it can lead to, you know, all the increased profit, sales, service, et cetera. But because of that spillover and crossover effect, you know, our emotions at work spill over into our personal lives and cross over to those around us. There's great data that shows that, you know, engaged employees report a, a better quality of marriage. There's actually more marital intimacy in people who are engaged at work. Uh, people who are engaged at work uh, are, are healthier than those who are disengaged. Um, it was horrible, but like the, the big Swedish wolf study, which is the big uh, cardiovascular study uh, that was done, you know, showed the linkage that people who are you know, uh, uh, disengaged at work they have a dramatically higher incidence of hospitalization through cardiovascular events or, or stroke. And it actually, the increase was actually the same as if they were smokers. So, you know, we warn everybody about cardio, cardiovascular risks of smoking. It's the same risk if you're unhappy at work, if you got a bad boss or you're just not, you know, not in the right, right spot. And, and the most surprising one is that people who are disengaged at work, their kids are more likely to have behavioral problems. And it goes back to this crossover thing where, you know, if I come home and I'm having a, had a great day and I was engaged at work, I bring these positive emotions, you know, into my home at night. And if my son rushes at me and wants me to play basketball in the driveway, I'm more likely to say yes. My daughter wants me to watch her spinning around in her little dance routine. I say, sure, honey. You know, my other daughter wants me to listen to her you know, flute playing. Okay, I'll sit down and listen to that. But we've all, even the best of parents, there's no such thing as a perfect parent. So if I've had a bad day, if I'm coming home disengaged, if I'm coming home stressed out, I walk in and Owen wants to go play basketball. I'm going to say, Owen, I just walked in, you know, maybe later, maybe later. The next one hits me. Watch me dance. You know, I haven't even sat down. Leave me alone. The next one starts playing her music. Take it upstairs, would you? You know, all of a sudden we transfer our emotions to our kids. And if we overly reject our kids or overly punish our kids, they internalize that. And within 24 to 48 hours, they act that out very often in the school environment. Research showing that when dad has a bad day at work, within one to two days, little Jane or Johnny might be misbehaving more inside the classroom. Wow. Yeah. And to also reinforce the point here that you have a negative experiences at work that you bring back home, but then your home life has negative experiences. And then when you go to work the next day, you're starting your work day also now to negative news. So you're creating this really bad negative feedback loop. Exactly. Okay, so Kevin, now that we've covered what exactly is employee engagement and how fostering employee engagement involves a partnership between leaders and their employees, and now how employee engagement not only benefits the organization, but it creates those tangible positive benefits for employees as well. I want us to get a little bit more concrete here in defining what it means to be engaged. In other words, what should I as a leader be providing my employees? What conditions should I be creating so that they can feel engaged when they walk in the door to work? Well, yeah, it, the, the factors um, that we want to try to trigger would be the same whether you're the manager or the employee. You just come at it from a different way. And so now, this was, you know, a, a few years back and, and my co-author and I, we were looking at the the Conexa employee survey uh, research, which is now IBM Conexa and, and the database has, has grown larger. And while there are like about a 12 factors that that drive engagement, the research team was able to identify 
three that drive about 70% and there was a close fourth. So it's communication, growth, recognition, and trust. Um, you know, growth, we want to, we want to be learning new things. We want to be challenged. We want to be advancing our career. Recognition is just feeling appreciated from our boss or our peers. And trust isn't so much the, like the ethics, like that Tanver might be lying to me. Like that's the low bar. It's really that I trust that the leaders have a solid plan. I trust that the future is bright. It's like future confidence. And, you know, if you're doing those three things right, you're probably communicating well along the way. But the big key with communication, it's not information. It's two-way communication, which, you know, I used to get wrong back when I was young and dumb. So it's really those four factors, those four variables uh, that we want to try to trigger um, either from the the half that is what the manager, the organization does, or the other half, you know, what the individual employee can do. Right. Now, Kevin, you mentioned just now that one of the key drivers of engagement is trust. And I think this one has become increasingly critical as many studies have shown that trust and leadership, both in the private and public areas, are at dangerously low levels. And it's interesting how in your book, Kevin, you point out how when it comes to the relationship between trust and employee engagement, it's not what many people might be thinking. And you kind of inferred that just now. But could you elaborate a bit on this dynamic for us? Right, right. And, and again, I think, look, any uh, in any relationship, personal or professional, if you think someone's lying or stealing or cheating, you know, that's not, uh, you know, that's like a zero multiplier. It's hard to be engaged in that relationship. It's hard to feel connected to, to that person for very long. You know, when I talk about trust, it's, it's trust. Uh, it's a confidence that the leadership team uh, has a plan for the future. So as an individual, what I want to know is that, you know, our, our, because it comes back to me, of course, in the end is our industry has a bright future. Our company has a bright future. Our department has a bright future and our team, you know, has a bright future. And for me to feel that way, I need to know what the goal is. You know, what, where are we trying to go and uh, what's the plan to get there? So it's like, where are we going? Do you have a plan? And then what are the mile markers? Will you tick off the mile markers for me as we begin to march up this hill together to plant the flag on the top? And, you know, what's interesting, Tandra, is that it's everything I've seen and in the interviews that I've done, it really doesn't seem to matter whether that goal, that top of the hill, is one year away or five years away, or it's a big, hairy, audacious goal that's 10 years away. It's just that, okay, leadership has a goal, has a plan, and here's signs of progress. So that's, it's really, again, it's, I'm trusting that my future is bright because I trust that the leadership has it all figured out. Right. And, you know, Kevin, when I was reading your book, I found this dynamic particularly fascinating because we can all understand how being able to trust our leaders when they say they're going to be able to help us create the future they describe is important to getting us to value their vision and put ourselves behind it. I mean, if we think of visionary leaders like Nelson Mandela, Winston Churchill, and Martin Luther King Jr., we see that this is what each of them did. The people who followed them believed that they could help them get to the other side, to get through what stood before them, and come up on the other side, hopefully stronger than they were before. And as you point out in your book, though, however, for that to happen, people need to have a clear understanding themselves of the organization's goals, of what it is they want to achieve, and how they can contribute to making it a reality. After all, if you want to care about the vision behind the organization's shared purpose, you can't be a spectator. You have right. to be an involved participant who's ready to roll up their sleeves and do what needs to be done. And that's what employee engagement is all about, right? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it gets back to this theme of you can't be a bystander and just have the expectation that everybody else is going to carry you there on their shoulder. Like it needs to be it needs to be a partnership. And look, I'm the first to admit that when it comes to, say, uh, the, the big long term goal, a lot of companies don't have them or they have them, but don't share them in a way that's that's memorable. Or if they have a strategic plan, they don't share it or it's so complicated that you'll never remember it. So uh, again, it's a 50-50 thing. I'm not saying it's all on you, but there's a lot that you need to do to kind of own about half of it. So, Kevin, the next key driver gauge I want to talk to you about is growth, because as I'm sure you know, this has become a big focal point for many employees because we all know that we're not going to be working for the same company for 20 to 30 years. And so it's important for us to know that for the time that we'll be a member of this organizational community, we're not only going to be able to do work that matters, but we're also going to have those opportunities to learn, evolve and grow. So what do we need to do as leaders to tap into this key driver? And what should employees be looking out for as evidence of those opportunities lying in wait for them to gain new insights, to learn new skills and become more valued contributors for their organization? Right, right. And this is, again, from a manager standpoint, from a leader standpoint, you know, this doesn't have to take a lot of time or money. Like if you're in a big company with a great training and development department, then sure, make sure your team members are career path and taking those training programs and that's going to help. Uh, if there's a big career ladder and, and the company's growing quickly, then naturally there's going to be a lot of growth. But even if uh, all the leader does, Tanvir, is have that career path conversation, you know, every six months, you know, and it's not this isn't an HR process. This isn't a form to fill out. It's like, hey, Tanvir, it's been a while since we, you know, really sat down and talked in depth about the future. Let's grab a cup of coffee. And I just ask you, hey, you know, where where do you want to be in a year, three years, five years? Do you still think you can achieve your career goals inside this organization? Why or why not? Who would you need to meet to make it happen? What would you need to know to make it happen? What experiences would you need? And I'm not going to guarantee you, you know, I can't wave a magic wand and make you a promise. But first of all, just by me having this conversation, I'm going to be triggering that <laughs> my manager cares about me. My manager is going to help me to grow and, and develop. My manager is helping me to have a bright future. And then hopefully I'll be able to do some things like, you know, put you on some uh, task forces or committees where maybe you're not going to be able to contribute a lot to the project, but you'll meet the right people. I'll let you job shadow someone. I'll, ha I'll hook you up with a friend who can mentor you, whatever it might be. It doesn't always have to be that, um, you know, expensive conference or, or training program. And from the individual side, you know, I, I would say with, with a little bit of tough love, I can remember, uh, this was a couple of years ago, but one of the world's biggest, uh, like, enterprise software companies called me in at the highest level because they were having an, sort of an engagement crisis in one of their departments. And the, the lowest score they had was on this growth uh, thing. And so I was supposed to facilitate this tough love conversation in the room with the executives and all the contributors. And, it, it, you know, people opened up, which did show there was a sign of trust. And my first question was, I said, OK, so you guys are scoring that, you know, there's no growth opportunities, you know, here in the company. Um, Let's explore that. So what 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 growth opportunities are here in the company? What do you recognize is here? And there was crickets. And I started calling him like, well, that's the problem. There's nothing there. Th this company does nothing to help us to learn, nothing to help us grow. I'm like, oh, OK, I'm like, 
what about when you came on board? Was there a new hire orientation program? I'm like, oh, well, yeah, there was one of those. And I wrote that on the flip chart. I'm like, okay. I mean, do you guys have a tuition reimbursement policy? Oh, well, yeah, if we want to go back to school, there's tuition. Okay, let me write that down. Like, do you guys have a training department? Yes, we can go online. There's e-learning. There's a thing. There's a blah, blah, blah. Wrote all those down. Have you guys ever done any uh, book clubs? Oh, yeah, there's the CEO book club. Let me write that. Within minutes, I had a whole flip chart filled with all these growth and development things. And I so then I said again, I'm like, OK, I said, no pressure here. I handed out index cards. Answer the same question again. I believe there's opportunities, blah, blah, blah. And it went from like a one to a three point five or something. And so part of this was just like my message often as individuals, I say, listen, are you being fair to your organization? Like, please pause and think through all the different things that are being made available, whether you want to take them, whether you think you know they're right for you, whether you're whatever, you're too busy or something, but recognize what is out there, what is available. And then I say, okay, now what else can you own? And Tandra, like if this is easy for the entrepreneurs because you and I, we, <laughs> we go to work every day and there's no HR department, there's no corporate training department, there's no boss giving us some career path advice, right? Right. So, what do we do? We read books like crazy. We listen to podcasts. We, you know, use our own money to join these online learning programs or to go to a conference. And I believe now this is where I start to get crazy. People think I'm a little paranoid. Tanver, you know, this we're in this time where artificial intelligence and robots, I mean, they're here and they're going to they're going to expand. And so it's not, this is a threat, not just to blue collar workers. You don't have to be, you know, uh, a, an automobile, uh, you know, assembler to be threatened by the robots. You can be a doctor. You can be a radiologist and be threatened by the robots. You know, you can be uh, I just you know, was reading an article about in Hollywood, like film editing. They found that this artificial intelligence computer could do a better job than rookie movie editors could do, you know, at, at uh, traditional scenes. So. You know, how do it's not that we're all going to lose our jobs. I don't think robots are going to take over the entire planet, anything like that. But listen, you know, when I go into uh, that that local Dunkin' Donuts or, or Starbucks or whatever it is, and I'm seeing it month by month, Tavir, more and more people are ordering through the app, walking up, grabbing their coffee and walking out the door. I'm seeing fewer and fewer people behind the cash registers. So. They're not all going to get fired, but what's your edge? You need to be a lifelong learner, whether your company is providing it or not. I hope they do. They should. But if they don't, you need to find the time and money to, you know, take some free Coursera courses, you know, go to your local uh, meetups, start something, you know, do some lunches. I don't know, Tamir, but like people need to take ownership of their lifelong learning because it's going to get more competitive than ever before. I completely agree, and I think you're actually spot on in how we absolutely have to take the bull by the horns and realize that it doesn't even matter how long you've been working in that particular role, you have to keep at it. Because as you said, even if it's not robotics, technology is fundamentally changing how we engage and interact and certain things. It might, like you said, it might not change our jobs in the sense that we will be pushed out because there's not going to be a robot doing it, but it will change maybe what's expected of us in that role. And we have to show that we're adaptive because we saw that coming. We're ahead of the curve and we're adapting how we approach it. So we're ready to make that shift. Absolutely. But I love that story, by the way, that you gave about how the management didn't notice all the growth opportunities that they were offering. But you also talked about how 
in trying to help our employees identify them, those conversations don't have to be these formal HR-driven ones, but can just be an informal one. And this kind of leads us to that next key driver engagement that I'd love to hear your insights on, which is communication. Because here again, we see that there are a lot of studies and reports that have shown that in so many organizations, a key issue employees have with their leaders is a lack of communication. And I know from my work that this idea gets a lot of pushback because leaders are among the first to say that they already communicate a lot already. So what are leaders missing here in terms of this key driver and what can employees do about it? Because as we've said, engagement is very much a partnership between leaders and their employees. Well, I, I used to be one of those leaders that would get frustrated because you know, <laughs> before I started teaching this stuff, I was getting employee engagement surveys back on myself along with 360s and things like that. And generally, I would have good scores, but the lowest score – and I, I mean raising that communication number is hard, and, and that would be where I would get dinged on communication. And for a long time, I'd be like, this is ridiculous. You know, I – do you know I send out that monthly email newsletter to all the employees and I do the quarterly retreats and they can ask me anything when I'm up there and all this stuff. And finally, I got a, a great mentor who said, Kevin, it's not information. It's communication. You're trying to give people more information from you. They don't want to hear more from you. They want you to hear more from them. And all of a sudden, I mean, it really changed Everything. I mean, I started uh, my, my I started, you know, staying consistent with my Monday one on one meetings, but it became their meeting, not my meeting where where they were telling me things and asking me things. It wasn't me spitting stuff at them. It changed my my um, my weekly team meetings where instead of me giving everyone the updates and all that, I barely spoke, but they were providing information to each other and I was, you know, there to support them. Um, I almost always now, you know, start my, uh, you know, my, uh, um, uh, you know, larger chair meetings or whatever, quarterly meetings and stuff like that. Instead of doing that set presentation and slides and I just say, what do you guys want to know? And and that they form the agenda. And there's ways to systematize this, whether it's the, you know, question box, the idea box or employee surveys and other things, driving that communication uh score and reality up is about listening to your team members better, listening to your employees better. And so whether, again, it's whether it's surveys or one-on-one -on -one meetings, it's they want to be heard. They want their ideas to count. Now, as an individual, again, it'd be great if we all worked for bosses and companies that got it, that had been trained in this and were doing it well. Um, most of us don't have that you know, luxury. And, and I almost, I mean, you know, this applies to all of it, Tamir, but I, I hope that as individuals, we, we kind of put ourselves into the perspective of who our boss is. Did she get the training in this stuff? It's kind of like when you're a parent for the first time. It's like, holy smokes, there was no training manual how to be a parent. You, know, you kind of figure it out. And then that's what a lot of managers are doing. But that doesn't mean you do nothing or that we stew over it or that we hate our boss. It means, unfortunately, that we've got to be a partner in this relationship. You're my boss. There's 10 of us on this team. But it's a partnership. The team's output is a partnership between the boss and the team members. So if I think I've got a communication problem, then I can take action as an individual. Now, I don't want to be a jerk about it. I want to realize that you're a busy person. You got a lot going on. But I'll shoot you an email and say, hey, you know, I've kind of been wondering about a couple of things. 
do you mind if I stop in at some point, you know, in the upcoming week or when's a good time for me to pop through, you know, when you're when you're not busy so we can talk? It means, you know, having the professional courage to raise your hand in that meeting and saying, you know, I'm, I'm curious about our numbers this quarter or I haven't heard about our progress on the X, Y, Z project. How's that going? Um, and, and it also gets to the same communication issue. I always say it like runs kind of like a spine through all of these because it can be applied to any of these. Right. So even back to that growth one. Yes, your boss should be the one calling for that career path meeting. But if she's not then there's no reason why you can't say, hey, you know what? I've been thinking a lot about my career and I'd love to get your advice and perspective, you know, as a as a friend and as a mentor. I mean, that's very flattering to your boss. So, of course, they're going to sit down. It's too bad you had to call the meeting. But now you're talking with your with your boss about it. So, again, like we've been saying, it's a partnership. So, um, you know, if, if we're struggling with that communication, we need to, to make those meetings happen and we need to ask. Right. And Kevin, I love the fact that you're reiterating how this Really, what we're talking about here is really a partnership, the relationship between employees and their leaders, because I think this is a great way to segue into that last engagement driver right in your book, and that is of getting recognition. And here again, I got to tell you, Kevin, I can see some resistance from some leaders who will say, why do I have to thank somebody for doing the job I hired them to do? Meanwhile, on the flip side, you have employees who say how their bosses will throw a pizza party, drive an engagement as a way to show thanks, but that uptick in energy and enthusiasm is short-lived. So, again, since we are talking about this really being a partnership, what are these two groups missing here? What should both leaders and employees, uh, how should they be approaching the act of giving recognition to fuel employee engagement? Yeah, the, the, the first message to the companies in the the and I, I actually knew a manager who said, you know, I thank them every time I sign their paycheck. Right. So <laughs> yes. those those cretins are still out there. Yeah. <laughs> and what, what they got to realize is, look, OK, so you're you're a you're a hardcore capitalist. You don't believe in this warm, soft, fuzzy stuff. But if you care about keeping your best employees, if you want your team members to give you 100 percent instead of 90 percent, if you want them to bring you good ideas instead of just waiting for you to have all the ideas, then you need to care about this stuff, including recognition. And where companies get it wrong is it's not about uh, it's, it's not about those pizza parties and summer barbecues or holiday parties. It's not about, um, you know, the, the president's club or those those awards. The problem with the the big parties is everybody's invited. It's not individualized. So I don't really feel special when everybody, whether you're a winner or a loser, we're all invited to that party, right? And and, and the the awards, those are nice if you won them. So the winner circle is too small. Instead of it being too big, it's too small. All of a sudden, it's like, well, I didn't win that award, so I don't feel recognized. And there's a danger. I could say huh, he said Tanvir got that award because he stayed late two weekends in a row. Well, you know what? Last quarter, I stayed two weekends in a row. Guess they just didn't notice. So now Tanvir's engaged. You just disengaged Kevin. So you got to be kind of careful with these individual uh, award programs. The right way to do it, it needs, we just want to feel appreciated. And it doesn't take a party or a trophy uh, uh, to do that. Something as simple as, you know, a, a verbal thank you or the high five or whatever, whatever you want to do. It's nice if there's a $10, you know, Starbucks card. Um, gold is handwritten thank you notes. 
Doug Conant, former CEO of Campbell Soup. If you Google his name, like Harvard Business Review has a case study because he would end his day by writing out 10 thank you notes day after day. They said he sent out like 30,000 thank yous to employees in his 10 years you know, at Campbell's because they just meant so much to people. And so I think, again, people think, oh, it's another recognition program where we got to spend a bunch of money and then Kevin gets a, a catalog and gets to pick something off of page three. No, you know, we want to hear from our boss and maybe our boss's boss every now and then like, hey, great effort. Even if it didn't work out the way we wanted, you know, great effort. We recognize that effort that you put in. So that's where people just kind of over over bake it. Now, it's a little harder as an individual. But again, this is contagious. You know, um, I'm trying to remember the uh, uh, the data. I think it was only only 10 percent of adults say thank you to a colleague each day. And only 7% have ever expressed gratitude to a boss. So, I mean, how hard would it be to catch our boss doing something right? Even if our boss is a cretin, you know, does most things wrong. I bet every now and then your boss does one thing right. You want to catch him in the act and say, hey, really appreciated that. You know, boss made me feel good today or really helped our work process. Or now I can do my job better since I got that answer quickly. You know, and so it goes in all directions. And you'll see that as you start to express gratitude to your colleagues, it's like a mirror. They're going to start expressing it back to you. I mean, we really can be a change agent in this uh, in this particular area. Right. And I love the idea of how you said how, you know, when we start doing it to our colleagues or to our fellow employees, it gets reflected back on us. Because as you were talking, Kevin, I, I kept thinking how, you know, recognition, what it really comes down to is that need that we have to be seen. Right. And it reminds me of a piece I wrote a couple of years ago about these different words in different languages and the lesson we can get from leadership. And one of my favorite came from the Zulu language. It was Sawubuna, which is a greeting, which that means I see you. And the idea is that I'm not just seeing you in the context of how I know you, but I'm seeing you as a whole individual, as everything that you represent and want to be seen as. And I think that's exactly what we're talking about here, that it's not just about thanking people for doing what we're, they're expected to do, but making them feel like they're seen and heard, which I think now, is... Now, Tanvir, you're going to think I'm making this up. But this is more proof that great minds think alike, because... <laughs> Before we went on air, I told you I'm behind on this book deadline, but the chapter I just wrote, which is about lead with love and, and, and all this, I, I talk about that Zulu greeting. I even talk about how <laughs> it was uh, – that uh, the filmmaker uh, Cameron, who's his movie Avatar, you know, they those alien creatures on whatever that planet was called. You know, that's how they greet each other. It's like, I see you. And it doesn't it means so much more than just, hey, I see you. You know, it, it's like, OK, you exist because I see you. You you exist. And I literally like the last two weeks have been writing about this. Kevin, I totally love it. So I'm telling you, Matt, we definitely have to talk about doing a little special mini series where you and I will will, will host a show because I I just love the the synchronicity that we have here, Matt. So it's, it's awesome. And now, Kevin, I, I have one more question for you, which sure. I'm sure you've been asked before because again, I'm sitting here imagining that there's one listener out there who's willing to take the leap and adopting the measures we discussed today, but in the back of their head, they're thinking of that one employee who no matter what initiatives are put forth to improve the way things are done, is always going to be critical and negative and basically unwilling to join them halfway as we said they should in order to help improve employee engagement. 
So for those leaders out there who are thinking about that one problem employee or those two problem employees who are going to resist them in taking on this new approach to employee engagement, what advice can you give them for how to deal with these kinds of employees who just won't embrace the idea that this is all about getting employees to care? Ideally, I think they should fire them. <laughs> and here's why. So, you know, even in like ultra engaged companies, like, you know, Doug Conant went from like worst to first in the Fortune 500 with, with Campbell's Soup. And he had a, an amazing, it was like a 77 to one engaged to disengage ratio. But there was still that one person out of 78, you know, or whatever it was or out of a hundred, cause there's probably the not engaged in the middle um, that just wasn't get it. And, and let's face it, hiring is very hard to do. So in even very great culture companies, managers understand how to be leaders for engagement. You're going to see 5% of your employee population is just going to still be actively disengaged. And these are generally hiring mistakes. You know, it, it's it's not that they're bad people, but like they they were brought on and it's a culture mismatch or it's an attitude mismatch or at the time you hired them, it was the right fit. But they might have something really bad going on in their personal life. And as you said, it's they don't realize it, but psychologically it's affecting them, you know, at, at work as well. And so I my personal belief is like you can't turn everybody. You can't turn someone that doesn't want to be turned. So in an ideal world, you identify those people and then help them to find a dream job in another company. Um, you know, if you can't do that, I think you try to uh, do what you can to persuade them, but at the very least, just isolate them. You know, if they're coming to you and saying, you know what, like, I don't want to be engaged. I want to give you my 40 hours and take my paycheck and go home. I really don't care about this organization or the mission. That's the way it is. And if your HR department or the union or whatever says you can't fire the person, I mean, that really stinks. But then I think you just try to minimize uh, their role on the team because that negativity, you know, can can spread. Thank you for that honest answer, Kevin, because as I said, <laughs> I'm sure given the low levels of employee engagement out there, some leaders are wary of trying a new tactic. And I know this scenario is probably top of mind for some of them. So I think your answer helps them get over this hurdle so they can focus on that larger group of employees who will be right. willing to meet them halfway to improve employee engagement in their organization. Okay, so now, Kevin, I know we covered a lot here, and I know from our past conversations, we could definitely <laughs> go even further. But I want to give you the last word here, okay, because I want to ask you one last question. And that is for leaders out there who probably are hopefully now got inspired and driven to want to shake things up and work to improve employee engagement levels in their organization. What one piece of advice do you have for them on how to get started? What's that quick win they can aim for to not only feel like they're making progress, but can help them get more of their employees on board and becoming active participants and transforming into employees who truly care, not just about their work, but about the shared purpose of the organization? Well, I'll just do two quick ones instead of instead of one. The first is just go out and say thank you this week. And I don't mean undeserved thanks, but just be aware of trying to catch people doing good stuff and then say thank you in whatever form. And then the second is pull up your calendar and do a one-on-one -on -one career path meeting, 30 minutes over a cup of coffee or a slice of pizza, and, uh, and, and then just make it a recurring appointment every six months for each direct report. And that would go a long way to getting this engagement stuff going. I love it. 
Kevin, I think that's exactly what many of us need to hear to help us take a deep breath and dive right in and work to make a better workplace for our employees. And Kevin, as always, it's a pleasure to speak with you, my friend. I could easily talk with you more about this, and it's just a pleasure to sit here and share ideas and learn from you. And I just really appreciate you taking the time to help all of us better understand how we can collaborate together to ensure we all care about what we do and find a sense of meaning and purpose in the contributions we make. And definitely think you and I are going to have to have a talk later about doing a, a, a mini podcast series because the fact that you and I, I, I just had that idea now, and I swear to you, it wasn't even in my notes that I have here, that you and I had that same idea. We have to do something. We have to do a little mini podcast series. I think that's definitely should be in the works for us. Always fun to geek out on leadership. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks again, my friend, for coming on the show. Thanks, Tamber. I've been talking with Kevin Cruz about his book, Employee Engagement for Everyone, Four Keys to Happiness and Fulfillment at Work. To learn more about Kevin's work and his book, visit the webpage for this episode at TamperNasir.com. And that concludes this episode of Leadership Biz Cafe. I hope you enjoyed this conversation, and as always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what we discussed in this episode, as well as what topics you'd like to hear in future episodes of this show. You can do this by leaving a comment on this episode's webpage or by filling out the contact form at tanvinasir.com. And if you found my show on Google Play, iTunes, or Stitcher Radio, I'd appreciate it if you could take a moment and please rate my show. Until next time, this is Tanvinasir. Thanks, everyone, for listening. <laughs>